0: We can take our Bibles and go to the Old Testament and the book of Genesis this morning. And if you've looked at your outline this morning, you may say, Now Jeff, this is Mother's Day, and I saw that the first words I saw there was the problem of evil. And some of you ladies say, Jeff, what are you trying to say here on Mother's Day? You're going to get yourself in a world of hurt. Uh, in Rocky Mount Baptist Church, we've been going through a series on the problem of evil and the question, why do bad things happen? And this is our fifth part, and we're getting to the good news now. Some of you have set through four long weeks with questions such as the silence of God, dumb decisions and avoidable suffering, the prepper's guide to tragedy, and it almost seems, y'all alright this morning? <laughs> y'all have come to I know a lot of pastors are like bro what seven are you seven weeks on the problem of evil and why do bad things happen man tops you want to give that four because people could be depressed and you're having counseling sessions and all sorts of, of stuff but here's what we're trying to do. what we're trying to do in this series is simply prepare ourselves through God's word to be prepared. For when the evil day comes, as it says in Ephesians chapter 6, so that having done all, you may stand in the evil day. The evil day could be many things. Days of national tragedy, the Boston bombing. It could be things such as the downturn of the economy back several years ago. And it could be a personal issue where you have been diagnosed with something that the doctors are not even sure that they know how to treat. For some parents, it's that their child has gone and they have strayed away from the Lord. They're in rebellion right now. For others, especially some of you mothers, you've had maybe a miscarriage or maybe something before you came to Jesus Christ. You had something in your past that you regret today, uh, such as an abortion, and you're seeking healing from the Lord in that area. The evil day is all sorts of things, and if we don't root ourselves and ground ourselves in God's Word that when the storm hits, we're going to do what a lot of people do. They turn to drugs. Some legal, some illegal. Y'all okay? Some people turn to try to find fulfillment in another person. Leave the person they're with. Go out on Friday and Saturday nights and see what they can find and thinking that that's going to solve the problem. When we we look in God's Word, we find something totally different. And this is our, our message in a sentence this morning. We find what the Bible teaches us is that there are evil people in the world. We all on the same page right there. You can be the dullest knife and the dullest toolbox in the world, but you can realize that there is something such as evil. There are evil people, and some of you have interacted with them. Some of you, you say, Jeff, that's me this morning. I need to be changed. Some of you said, if it were not for the grace of God, I would be in all of these situations. But there are evil people that you will confront in your life. They find you. And especially for those of you that you're ready to serve Jesus. You are on fire. You're ready to serve Him. You want to see people saved. You want to see God work in this church, in your Sunday school class. You want to see your family transformed for the glory of God. And it seems like from the minute that you committed to follow Jesus, from that moment, problems started popping up. Can I get an amen in the house? Amen. You say man, It's almost like, it's almost like there's this flood of ungodliness. I figured that was going to happen sometimes with all the stuff that's up here. You say he's throwing stuff off the stage. I'm not a violent person. I promise. But some people say, now Jeff, it seems like there's this flood of iniquity, uh, of of perversion and sickness, and the culture's awesome with it. Like the culture's like this. The culture's like this, especially for our young students. You want to live for Jesus Christ? Yes. You're intolerant. Go hide in a corner. Go play in your church. Keep that for a Sunday morning activity. But then if you want to say that you're all sorts of things that God's Word says, whether it be for abortion, whether or not to have mercy for people who are trying to come out of homosexuality but say there's nothing wrong with that, just from a clinical perspective, it's so damaging to the physical person. But to reach out and want to help people, the world says you're, you're intolerant. But... For someone who wants to advocate today everything that God's Word says is wrong, the culture's like, you're a hero. Have you noticed that? So what we're facing is when we stand up for God and we give resistance to the world, we're going to encounter issues and problems. So our message this morning is centering around the story in the Old Testament. And the skinny of it is this. You and I will encounter evil people they will intend to do evil to us, but our sovereign, totally in control God allows them, places them there for them to, uh, to try to do their best to tear us down. But God intends their intention for good. You see, now Jeff, that, that almost doesn't make sense. Well, I want to explain it to you like this. There are people that to the best of their ability, they will try to get you to fall. They will try to get you to be depressed. They will try to cut you down. They want to ruin your life, tick you off, make your life a living hell because they hate God and because you stand up for God, they can't stand you! But you're there because of the grace of God. See, here's what's going to happen. They're going to try to do evil things to you, but guess who's not God? Them. You have a sovereign God who is absolutely in control and He is allowing that process to take its course to bring something good from it even if you and I don't understand how good could ever come from it. In the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 37, begins our story with a young man named Joseph. He's If you want to follow us in our outline, we're going to take a look at several snapshots of Joseph's life this morning that probably a lot of you can identify with. And if you want to write this down on the margins of your notes, the three J's that can really help you understand bad things happening, suffering, evil, heartache, family drama, relational drama, being backstabbed, having a brutal life. Think of the three J's. Number one, Joseph, Job, and Jesus. And I want to put this into your mind before we dive into the text, that when we read the Old Testament, we have to be very careful that we don't say, Joseph represents me, Job represents me. No, they are just but a faint shadow of the mighty Savior, Jesus Christ. And for all of the greatness that we're going to see in the life of Joseph, that is just to crack the door. It is for God giving His revelation thousands of years ago to let people say... I'm giving you guys just a taste for how amazing this young man Joseph is. I'm giving you guys just a little glimpse of the patience of Job to see how great I am. Because I sustained Job. I helped carry Joseph through those brutal times. And I'm sending my son to die for the sins of the world. And for those of us that are on the other side of the cross, we can look back and say, Jesus, You are King. And these are simply great illustrations of Jesus Christ. Alright? So that's kind of our theological glasses that we're going to look at this text through. Let's jump in. Number one. Context to Joseph, he was from a blended family. There were multiple wives, multiple brothers that had uh, the same dad, different mothers, and there was conflict in this blended family. Not only that, but there was favoritism. He was his dad's favorite son. Now, that may not be the, bad, the, the, the worst uh, run, right? If you're the favorite son or you're the favorite daughter, but guess who's not and who also lives with you? Your siblings, and if they notice that you are the favorite one, that you get the favorite treatment, this may be sound odd to us, but there in Genesis 37, in verse number 3, Joseph was given a coat of, some of you all know this, from many colors. We remember that as kids, and, and in that day and time, that was a very expensive thing. Today, we can find colors with, uh, I mean, you can go and buy yourself a 99 cent uh, little vial of, of dye from Kroger's, and it's not a big deal. But Back then, that was a thing of honor. Who didn't get a coat of many colors? All the other brothers. So here they are. He is the dad's favorite. There is favoritism from his dad. There's jealousy from within Joseph's family. And then in chapter 37 and verse 7, God gives Joseph a dream. Now check this out. This was from God. He gave Joseph a dream that said, eventually all of your brothers are going to bow down to you. Well, now that may not be the best way to make friends and influence people, right? Imagine that. You're in a blended family. There's already some conflict. You're there. Your dad favors you. You know your brothers hate you. And you say, "By the way, guys, I had a dream last night." And that's all. That, that's always interesting, isn't it? Amen. Right. Somebody says, I had a dream. And most of our dreams are they're just, they're just whacked out, you know, riding on a pink elephant through the sky. You know, finding a finding a, a ninja who's got a, a sword made out of butter and stuff like that. And then the point of that is that cookout is good. You know, it's just, it's just a world of insanity, our dreams. And they don't make sense. But he told his brothers the dream. And basically, the interpretation was, is all y'all, my big brothers, little brother Benjamin, he's there too. Y'all are going to bow down to me. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Cricket's awkward situation. Not only was there that, but these brothers developed so much hatred towards Joseph that they eventually betrayed him in the context of this blended family. He went to check on his brothers. Group of them said, let's kill him. Reuben said, let's not. Let's just put him in a pit in the ground. And he was going to go back and save him later, but before he could get back, his brothers had sold him as a slave. His brother Judah, now think for just a moment, this is a whole different message, but those of you who know your Bibles well know that Judah was the one through who Jesus would come. It was the specific tribe that God sovereignly said He would send His Son through. Here is Judah being an absolute scumbag. And this afternoon, after you have time with your family, it may not be a bad idea for you to see God's grace in Judah's life in Genesis chapter 38. We don't have time to cover that this morning, but Judah should have taken point. He should have been with Reuben. He should have been a leader. But instead, he's the one who's saying, hey look, let's just go ahead and sell him. Now, stop. Think of the knockdown dragouts that you've had with your brothers and your sisters. We all there? And I don't know if you're like me, but buddy, we had some wars. You know, mom, when she gets to be a teenager, she thinks that you're mature enough to babysit your brothers. When she goes to the store, no, sir. That's when you bring out the boxing gloves and the video camera and you just get it on. Think about the times that we've been so frustrated with our families, so mad, so angry with your brother and your sister. But would you ever be to the point to where you were actually ready to take the step to take their life? I and mean, even more so, this, this is hard for us as Americans to understand, but would you have enough hate and resentment in your heart to sell them as a slave that would, re- would, would result in a probably horrific kind of death in horrific circumstances? And they actually sold them to the Ishmaelites, which those were Arabs, and we all know how long the Arab-Jewish conflict had been going. Selling your own brother to your own arch rivals. And your arch enemies. Not only that, but there was deception and brokenness. Here's the thing: Joseph goes out to find you. You're the big brothers taking care of all the animals in the wilderness. You come back. There's no little brother. So what do you do? You you decide to to try to to trick Dad. What they did is they took his coat of many colors. They tore it up. They killed an animal, made it look like Joseph had been killed in a violent way by some wild animal. Just, 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 just picture that. Your father is up in years, and you go and try to deceive your dad to tell him that your youngest brother was mauled and eaten by wild animals? Man, what is the state of the heart in something like that? And what must Joseph have been thinking on his way to Egypt? He was sold there as well. Well, what happened when he got there? In Genesis chapter 39, the narrative gets even more interesting. He was bought by a man named Potiphar who was captain of Pharaoh's guard. Joseph did well. He was a man that honored God and his employer saw that. And he was given free reign to do anything. Now, I think it's very interesting, a parallel here, that Jesus was sent into the wilderness to be tested. Not only that, but we see in Joseph's life, Egypt was an absolute testing experience. Well, there was just one problem, and Potiphar had a wife who didn't think that Potiphar was the only attractive man in the house. Are we all thinking along the same lines here, folks. The Bible says, guys, that Joseph was well built and handsome. Now, she did not have a class, ladies, in southern culture and what it meant to be a proper and a woman of God. She comes to him very plainly in verse number verse number eight here verse number seven or other, and she says this. She says, lie with me. Go to bed with me. She didn't beat around the bush at all. She just came straight up and said, I want you to commit adultery with me, guys, in the house of the Master. Now, Joseph says in your Bibles, you probably maybe have a different version here. He says, how can I do this because I may lose my job? Is that what it says? Uh, How can I do this and sin against my possible employment and freedom opportunities later on? Does it say anything about that at all? No, it says, he says, how can I do this great wickedness in verse 9 and sin against God? Well, she gets mad. She comes at him, guys. Grabs a hold of him. And it hadn't been written yet, but he knew in his heart that it was the right thing to do. The Bible says in the book of Second Timothy to flee youthful lust. So guys, here's what he does. He takes off running. He's running from the boss's wife. So he goes and she's got his cloak and then all of a sudden, arrogant, hypoc- hypocritical indignation comes over Potiphar's wife and she goes to Potiphar and says that have you brought the Hebrews here to make sport of us? In other words, he tried to force me. Well, guess who Potiphar believed? He believed his wife. Joseph was sent to prison and this was not a Franklin County jail. This was not a regional facility in Salem. This was a brutal prison in a place that had never even thought about the Bill of Rights. He had conflict in his employment. He had tremendous temptation. He was falsely accused like Jesus was falsely accused. He was unjustly punished. He was thrown in prison on a false charge. Not only that, but he had conflict in relationships once he got in the prison. Here he is. Now, How? what would you think? If you had tried to serve the Lord, your brothers hated you because of your dad's action of not loving them equally. Then they sell you. Then when you get there, you're falsely accused. You get sent down into a prison. Now, most of us would probably, because we're Americans, a lot of us are coming out, praise God, of the American type of Christianity that says, God, I've been good. You owe me. God doesn't owe us one thing except for hell. Thank you, Brother Pat. We got Y'all going to have to work with me on that. I'm used to that. Brother Pat, thank you for that. If you've got something that you agree with, you don't have to sit there. You don't have to say anything. But amen. That's true. That's from the Bible. We can go on that, Brother Pat. Now here's the thing. In American Christianity, we think if we get saved, if we give to the Lord, if we attend church, then He's supposed to reward us with good things. Time out. Jesus Christ is all that we need. The fact that He has come and died for us, that is salvation from hell. That means that if everything gets stripped away and we still have Jesus, that's all that eventually matters. So even if it comes to something like this, so you've been falsely accused in your life, you're trying to do the right thing, and then in prison, you say, well, Lord, have you left me? He helps out these guys. He gives two of them uh, interpretations for their dreams. One ended favorably. He said, you're going to be reinstated to your job with Pharaoh. This is where almost it's brutally honest in the Bible. The other guy, the interpretation of his dream, the prophecy, was that he was going to be executed. Wouldn't that be a little bit awkward if you were Joseph? you got two guys asking you, what did God say? One of the guys, you have to say, God's going to reinstate you. The other guy, you're going to be executed. But he says there in verse number 14 of Genesis chapter 40, Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should have put me into this pit. But what happened And over in verse 23 of the same chapter is that the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Have you ever been forgotten by people that often you misinterpret that and you believe that God has forgotten you? This is a forgotten friendship. This is a situation of suffering in life that many of us have been through where we think that someone who should be able to at least be a friend, not necessarily repay us with money, but at least just be there. These guys totally out of sight, out of mind with Joseph and he has no advocate, no lawyer, and he's sitting rotting in an Egyptian prison. Well, it gets interesting in chapter 41 of Genesis. Pharaoh has these dreams and Joseph actually interprets the dreams two very different dreams uh but very similar one was that there were uh seven cows grazing by the Nile and then seven this is kind of kind of a crazy dream uh seven scrawny starving cows come out and they eat these big ones and he had these these uh ears of corn seven of those and then then these these scrawny ones come up and eat the full ear of corn and Pharaoh's like what does this mean God gave Joseph the ability to interpret these prophecies and he said that for seven years It's going to be gangbusters. We're going to be able to have a lot of harvest in Egypt. But for seven years, there's going to be absolute and total famine. Well, it happened. Joseph was placed in charge of all of that. And in chapter 42, guess who ran out of food who was not in Egypt? His brothers. Guess where dad sent them to get food? Egypt. Guess who's second in charge of Egypt now? The little brother that they sold and were going to kill. Now, this is interesting because he's, he's up in years. He's he's a man, not just a boy. And he's married and has a little Egyptian family there. And they don't recognize him. So they come in and he, they don't recognize him at all. But he recognizes them. Now, what would most of us have done? We have Egyptian crack troops, the number one military in the world at that time, at our command. We are high on the hog. Amen. I'm in the South. We had an awesome time with our youth lock-in the other night. We stayed up all night. If I'm a little off today, that may be why. But we are in the South. And man, one of the things I saw at the bowling alley when we were doing that, they had a sign over the drinking fountain and it said, no spitting tobacco in the water fountain. I said, buddy, we are in the South. So, high on the hog, if that translates, alright? So, he is there. Now, most of us would have said, God, you have given me justice. And we would have done things to them. We would have thrown them in prison, say, okay, you like being sold into slavery? You like that uncertainty? Alright, let's see how that works. And we would have done the same thing, but notice that he doesn't. He asks them questions and he finds out that his dad's still alive. And he asks more questions and he finds out his younger full brother is still alive. And he, he accuses them of being spies and then he allows them to go back and says, he says, we're going to hold one of them. He says, you guys have to come back but bring your youngest brother. They go back and tell dad and he freaks out. He says, if I lose Benjamin who was from his favorite wife as was Joseph, he says, oh, my gray head will go down to the grave in mourning. Well, they eventually come back And after being able to find out all that he needed to, in verse 30 of Genesis chapter 43, I would mark this. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brothers, and he sought a place to weep. Over in chapter 45, in verse number 2, And he wept aloud, so that the Egyptians heard it and the house of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph! I am Joseph! Imagine the avalanche of emotions that must have broken during that time. Imagine, just for a moment, put yourself in his situation. All of the hurt, all of the rejection... And it all manifested itself right there. You say, now Jeff, that's interesting. The dreams about the cows eating each other, that's a little weird. It's interesting interesting look at an Old Testament narrative from the Bible. But What in the world does this have to do with the greater good and with suffering here today? Number one, this is God's gift to the broken. You say, Jeff, what are the broken? The broken are those that God has brought suffering into your life to mold you and shape you and to give you a testimony. Number one, God's gift to you is that He will give you wisdom in fearful situations. Joseph had wisdom not to compromise Some of you have been tested. Some of you have been tempted. In a room of this size with as many people as are here, I'm sure there are some of you, and at your work, with the groups of friends that you're with, there have been temptations for you to fall away from the Lord. To do something that you know that you would regret. God will give you wisdom. In those situations and not only that but he will give you a platform of influence imagine joseph a believer in almighty god he's second in the command of egypt the most powerful empire in the world at that time yesterday at our jail ministry and ben and john i'm so proud of you guys and sue for being involved with that i just want to give a uh, an encouragement to you guys here in the church why don't you come and try the jail ministry one time Start praying about it right now. It is a fantastic ministry. And we were there yesterday and these guys were doing such a great job at encouraging these inmates. It's just I thought the Lord led me to say that those guys who the Lord has done a work in their heart in there, we believe that to be true. That they are there so that they can invest in the lives of other broken men who are in jail. So that when those broken men get out, they've been made whole by Jesus. And the little boys and the little girls who their daddy is in jail. And who people go tell about Jesus. That those guys will return to their homes. And those little boys and little girls will have a dad. Instead of dad getting out in July and getting back in jail in August. God gives all of us a platform to influence. Some of you see, Jeff, man, I've never been to school. I, sometimes it's even hard for me to do a good job at my work. It's been hard for me to read. I, it seems like I struggle with my relationships. Listen, everything that God has allowed you to endure in your life is a platform for you. Because there are other people who have endured that too. Other people have endured that too. And so many people, if we would just open our eyes and stop being so self-centered, we would look out and find those people who need someone to speak Christ into them. Because very few people listen when you come and say, look, I'm successful in this area. I've got a 5,000 IQ. I've never been into... I mean, that's great if God has given you natural intelligence, good looks, financial stability, but most people, their walls are taken down when they see how much The scourge of the evil in life has broken you down. Whether it's your mistakes and your sins, or whether it's something that has been done to you by another person. And not only that, but God will give you, if you have been broken by situations and by people, He will give you, please hear this, supernatural grace to forgive. Joseph says in chapter 45, he says, For God, in verse 5, the second part, For God sent me before you to preserve life. In verse 7, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors, so that it was not you who sent me here, but God. Let me make a note here that if God is not sovereign, if God is not in control of everything, then you have no assurance that things will eventually work out for the good. Do you realize that? If God is as we are, if God is learning about the future, if, if the future is simply open and God is not in control, then you have no assurance that good will win. We can only say, we'll hope it will. And then God's gift to the broken also is assurance that their suffering is for a greater purpose and not in vain. If you hold your place in your Bible and turn over to Psalm chapter 105, we don't have the time to go through every single verse here. But it begins there in verse 16 with God's interaction in this whole thing. It says, When He summoned a famine on the land and broke the supply of bread, He had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. So according to the Bible, it was God using the evil of the brothers to send Joseph into Egypt. And then in verse 26, He talks about later in the history of the Jews. He sent Moses, His servant, into Egypt to help the Jews come out. And then throughout the chapter, it speaks of God is the One who is behind every single thing to work it out for His glory. It says finally in verse number 45, this is the result of God sending Joseph. This is the result of God sending Moses. It is, says that they might keep His statutes and observe His laws. Praise the Lord. You know that old song, It Is Well With My Soul. Horatio Stafford lost his family When a ship went down, it is well with my soul. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way. When sorrows, like sea billows, roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And Joseph says, I want those of you who have suffered so much to listen. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, note it, underline it, highlight it, memorize it, live it. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. To bring about the result of saving many lives. He say, now Jeff, that's great. I understand how that worked out in his life. But what can God do through the suffering that I've encountered? God can give you influence. We don't, and, and let me be very clear here. We need to be careful, Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be so careful that we're not Job's friends who show up in the midst of someone's suffering and try to tell them exactly why we think it happened. Shame on you if you do that. We are there to be God's hands and God's feet. Millard Erickson, the great theologian, said this, to pass judgment on God's deeds would require an infinite knowledge, something that we simply do not have. We have to trust. James Merritt said this, in God's view, what may seem today as frustrating, unjust, unfair, and wrong is not the end of the story. The end of the story is that God will use our suffering to bring many people to Him. God will use your suffering in possibly ways that you can't even imagine. So friend, someone that you don't even know very well, here's the story of what God has done in your life, how God has sustained you. And that person will come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to say something very very quick before we close, which is probably not going to be very quick, but we're in church, we're going to keep going. All right? Is that God is not on trial. Let that sink in. God is not on trial to give an answer to us for His dealings with us. It is God's answer through the cross of Jesus Christ, through what He's done through Jesus. That is God's ultimate explanation. So here's the thing. We know that some things we can't see that God can bring about for good, He can through what Jesus has done. There's a story, some of you have read that that book, Robinson Crusoe, and he's there on that island and he ends up saving this guy and rescuing him. This guy was a, a cannibal. He was about to eat and, be eaten by a fellow tribe. Wouldn't that be an interesting, you know, first meeting? Be a little awkward. He begins to explain to this man named Friday, Christian theology and what the Bible teaches. And Friday said, well, why doesn't God just destroy the devil and be done with all the evil? Have you ever thought that before? Why, that, why, doesn't, why doesn't God just take care of it? And Robinson Crusoe responded, he says, why doesn't God destroy us when we do evil things? God will judge the evildoers. God will bring every single thing into justice. But between now and then, He has given us the comfort of His Holy Spirit. And He is calling us to walk in faith with Him.